look at us. We're going back down under to discuss Putt-Putt, and no, we're not talking about the song of the summer by Cuckoo Kangaroo. We're going to chat with a multifaceted mini golfer from Australia on this episode of the podcast. As you know already, my name is Tom and I go by Mr. T. I do a mini golf endeavor with my wife called A Couple of Putts. We design, consult, and play mini golf holes and courses across the entire planet. Someday we hopefully will get to Australia. You can find all of our work over at acoupleofputts.com and on social media at Couple Putts. P.S. In the past two years, since competing on Holy Moly, I've also started to become involved with the competitive side of the game and literally am still covered in sweat from a really fun competition in a local league called Puttcraft. Thank you, Puttcraft. Now I'm Pat, and in the mini golf circles, I'm known as the Putting Penguin. Along with my friend Mandy, I run the mini golf course review website and the social media conglomerate, the Putting Penguin. I'm also a competitive mini golfer and I've played in over 60 tournaments and got several more coming up on the 2021 schedule. Who knows, someday in the future too, I may add course owner to that resume. Today we're going to start off with some news from the mini golf world. So I've got some happy news and some sad news. Starting with the sad news, the WMF has had to cancel the World Deaf Championships that were going to be held in Germany. Unfortunately, there's continued travel uncertainty driven by the COVID pandemic, and there was no guarantee that athletes from all around the world were going to be able to make it both into Germany and back to their home countries without being severely misplaced by various quarantine rules. On the happy side, in earlier episodes of the podcast, we've talked about Putt Shack coming over from the UK and expanding to a few cities in the United States. Well, they've just recently announced that in 2022, one of those cities is going to be near and dear to my heart, and they'll be coming to the seaport in Boston. So looking forward to playing that and adding it to the website. And there's perfect timing with a bit of news that I found this week. In our episode, that we're going to be talking with someone who has a putt-putt background. It seems perfect that there's news this week that there's potentially going to be a new putt-putt course that's being proposed in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It's an original putt-putt fun center. And as you know, far as we know, I don't know that there's been a new putt-putt fun center being built in the United States in maybe the last 20 years. So that's pretty cool news. And then on the tournament front, the Texas Made Mini Open on June 19th will be happening at the Centex Mini Golf in Georgetown, Texas. It's a little less than an hour north of Austin, Texas. So head out and check it up. They made a really cool poster for the event. And you should be supporting competitive mini golf as much as you can if you are a fan of mini golf. So we are going to welcome Colette Norton to the podcast, and I'm just going to really let Colette start it off and give us a little bit of her background and connection with the world of mini golf and putt-putt to start this off. So Colette, welcome, and tell us a little bit about all of your connections to the world of mini golf. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, so I am currently ranked number one women's mini golf player in Australia. I have been playing mini golf since before I could walk, crawling around with a plastic putter. Uh, My parents have always managed putt-putt courses and I've grown up playing the game, loving the game. Now I manage a putt-putt course at Mermaid Beach on the Gold Coast in Australia. And... 
and I was on season one of Holy Moly Australia. Look at that resume. I mean, that is just like pretty much mini golf Australia personified right there. Why don't you give us, uh, why don't you start off because you have all of these amazing uh, mini golf identities and you are the first person that we've had on the podcast that actually manages a course. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with Putt-Putt Mermaid Beach? Putt-Putt Mermaid Beach is owned by the Wyckoff family and my family, the Nortons, have always managed Putt-Putt. I've been brought up playing mini golf and uh, our course at Mermaid Beach, I would say, is the best in Australia. Can't disagree. And now, as many people who listen to the podcast know, that putt-putt is a very specific kind of mini golf. There might even be people that would argue that it's its own special thing. But what is the history of putt-putt in Australia? Are there many putt-putt locations there? We unfortunately don't have too many left. So putt-putt in Mermaid Beach and there's a putt-putt down in Mildura. Uh, originally, they built 26 courses all around Australia and New Zealand. And unfortunately, they a lot were on leased land. And over the years, those leases were not renewed and therefore other things were built on those lease locations. Because you're the first person that we've had on that manages a course, tell us what goes like behind the scenes. Like, what are you doing with managing the course? Like, what does the day-to-day look like? What are, the, what are you responsible for there? Well, uh, of course, we have to clean the course every morning and upkeep. Uh, we have all three of our 18-hole courses are heavily landscaped. They're all themed. So there's a lot of upkeep with painting, cleaning, maintaining the greens, making sure they play correctly and stocking it full of treats so people can have a nice cold drink while they play. Uh, There's a lot that goes in behind the scenes. If people have seen like traditional putt-putt courses in the United States, you have those orange rails, you have that felt turf. And one thing that's really distinct and part of the reason why my wife and I included Putt-Putt Mermaid Beach in our Atlas Obscure list of like interesting and unique courses around the world is, is that the course is really themed out. It's got characters, it's got some shoot-throughs and obstacles. How did that come to be? Do you know any of the history of that at Mermaid Beach and like why that is really, really distinct, uh, you know, compared to like the normal traditional putt-putt courses? So putt-putt, as you would know, every hole must be able to be hole-in-one. So no matter what obstacle we put on the course, a hole-in-one must be achievable for it to be a putt-putt, unlike mini golf. Uh, so like you said, tr- at the start, there were orange bump boards with the felt carpet and some humps and bumps, and that was about it. But in 1984, Tom Wyckoff, the owner of Putt-Putt, decided let's theme these courses. Uh, let's put in some water, windmills, loops, animals, So we ended up with the Jungle Trail, the Fun Run, and Waterways. That is how our courses are today. And we saw our customers coming in in bucket loads once we themed the courses. So everyone wants more. They don't want to just play a basic course. They wanted more. So we gave them more. And we continue to do that. We're forever putting in new, new obstacles and updating things all the time to keep people coming back. I love it. Yeah. You can still have a hole that can be a par two and potentially ace with lots of fun things around it. I think it's just a matter of being really creative. And it just seems like you all have done a great job at that. Thank you. 
And I guess kind of transitioning into the competitive side, I guess the first thing I would want to know for those three courses, what's your best score on each of the courses? Yeah. Ooh, I have scored a 30 is my best score. Unlike some of our other professional players that can get right down to 26, 25. I think we've had right down to a 22 was the best ever score on our waterways course. Wow. So, so no, uh, no sniffing the perfect 18 that we've seen a couple of here in the U S no, no one has ever got the perfect score on our courses yet. Well, hopefully there will be one in the future so that you can stake that in your, uh, one of your course history books there. That would be nice. So for our 30th <laughs> birthday at Pop Pop Mermaid Beach, we put up a million dollar prize money for anyone that could do 18 holes in one in a row in one single game. But unfortunately, that was not achieved. I think seven might have been the most that someone got. Well, that's still pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, very. I, I wouldn't be uh, too unhappy with getting seven holes in ones in a row, that's for sure. Have you gotten an 18 on, on all of the holes on any of the courses? Like, have you personally, like, not in a row, but like, have you managed to ace each of the holes like independently, like in different rounds? Yes, yes. So it's possible somebody it's could get possible. that million. <laughs> and as you know, Alan Cox, the putter king, he has done that on our courses. He has uh, on his videos. He has gone around and showed how a hole-in-one is possible on every hole and in different ways too, not just in one one way of hitting the ball, banking off one side. He's shown it can be possible in, in many different parts. Yeah, I was going to say a little video editing, just like Alan, you can make that happen. And his videos yeah, are great when he shows all the different ways. And I sit there and go, all right, I'd be happy to just to make it the one way <laughs> he shows. Um, so from your competitive history, you, know, you mentioned you've been basically playing mini golf your whole life. How long have you been in the competitive realm? Because I know at least from what I've seen from my work in the competitive area and my work with the WMF, it seems like the Australian competitive side of things has really bloomed more recently, although I know it has a longer past, especially with the putt-putt side, but give us a little history of, you know, how you've been connected to that part of the game. So I started playing professional uh, putt-putt when I was a child in the juniors with, along with my father and my mom who were professional putters. And then putt-putt, the professional putters of Australia uh, wrapped up quite a few years ago and we've only recently reintroduced professional putt-putt and playing tournament in more recent years. So unfortunately last year with COVID, we didn't have our 2020 championships. Uh, so in 2019, we had the Oceana, which was Australia and New Zealand players. And then 2018, we had uh, the Australian championships at Putt-Putt Mermaid Beach. And so I've only played in those two competitions in recent times. And then hopefully this year, all going well, we will have our 2021 championships at Pop Pop Mermaid Beach in October. Excellent. What is the uh, competitive scene, I guess, look like in terms of diversity? Because you mentioned you're, you're the top ranked woman. Is, are there a lot of women who play in, in Australia? I know in the U.S. it's very heavily skewed towards the male side of things. And I'm wondering, you know, around the world, do we see a little bit more diversity in who's playing? Unfortunately not. Uh, there's not too many women that have been playing in our competitions. We hope that that will change and more women will get involved. Uh, but we haven't seen, compared to men, 
we're probably getting about a quarter of the amount of women playing. Do you think Holy Moly will have an influence on that? Because I think in the U.S. we've seen, you know, an uptick Mm -hmm. kind of in mini golf in general. And because of the diversity of the casting of Holy Moly, a more diverse group of people joining the mini golf circuit. I'd be interested in your take on, you know, both on the competitive impact of Holy Moly, but I guess also as a course manager, have you seen an, an uptick or, you know, more interest in the sport of mini golf because that's been on TV? Since Holy Moly started promoting the show here in Australia, before it even went to air, we noticed so many more people coming and playing mini golf and talking about the show before it even went to air. So once the show did go to air, we were inundated with people wanting to play mini golf and a lot more kids interested in mini golf. I think Holy Moly has certainly sparked a lot more interest in people playing putt putt in mini golf. And once our championship starts to get promoted and people can register, I think we'll see a big uptake in people wanting to play the sport. That's awesome. Makes the next obvious transition was you were on Holy Moly. You were part of that first group of Australians that got to come over to the United States. And for those that have listened to the podcast, know that there was a whole group of Australians brought over last March in 2020 and then COVID hit. And then, of course, as we've recapped all of the Holy Moly episodes in Australia that recorded last October in 2020 and then aired earlier this year in 2021. And Colette was one of those competitors. Share with us a little bit about your experience. And to start off, how was it playing Volcano? That's kind of a wild hole. It's a little bit different than anything you have at Mermaid Beach, I bet. Those are sort of the sort of holes we can't have at Pop Pop Mermaid. <laughs> I don't think anybody should have holes. We we couldn't afford the public liability on that. Uh, our holes, as much as they are fun, they are not extreme. Uh, you don't need to put your body on the line uh, to play at our course uh, and our obstacles. Playing Volcano or going on Holy Moly and Volcano being my first hole. When I walked up to get on the Flying Fox, I'm like five foot two if I stand really straight. Um, And I couldn't even reach the bars. And I was on tiptoes. I thought, I think I'm going to have to jump just to reach these. Um, Eventually, one of the crew came out and put a little extra step on for me so I could actually reach those bars. And the audience was going, come on, come on, you can do it. I think everyone was worried that I was... Uh, scared to take off, but I don't think they realized that Polcano, the flying fox, is actually propelled. So you're not you're not letting yourself go. You're waiting for that to go. And I think the longer you're standing up there waiting, the more scared you get. I was all ready to take that on and and then the longer I stood there, the more scared I got. And as you're flying along that flying fox and you're seeing the pole coming closer and closer and you're saying to yourself, let go, let go, let go. And I don't know if I let go or whether (laughs) that was what made me let go. And I hit that pole and I swear I thought I'd tore my leg off. (sighs) Uh, The inside of my leg hit that pole. I went holding around and hit that water. And luckily Once I hit that water, it was nothing like hitting the water when we filmed in L.A. Mm -hmm. Um, Guys would just come out of winter over there and in the canyons, I think it was about six degrees in Mm -hmm. um, our temperatures Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it was like hitting ice over there. And I thought, 
I was going to get hypothermia, but here the water was a little bit warmer because we were coming closer to summer. Uh, so when I got out and luckily I survived that and was able to part and win that hole and then I had to see a medic for my leg. <laughs> oh no. Yes, it was black, blue and purple for quite a few weeks after that. And the Oof. lovely makeup ladies um, put makeup on my legs so it didn't look so bad when oh, I played no. the next <laughs> and then, and then after that, if that wasn't enough, she had to face off uh, against Montana Strauss on Slip and Putt, uh, a hole that both Pat and I know quite well from season one in the States. And of course, you're having to then run and then just everybody had such a hard time on that. And I'm sure as you can tell us, what they showed was probably only a small part of you slipping and falling down, I bet. Definitely. Uh, that hole was really fun. I love slipping and sliding down that slipping putt. It was it was so much fun, but the aim was to get to the top. And with my leg already feeling like it was torn off, I really wasn't prepared to put my body on the line too much to dive for that top bit. Uh, so Montana got to the top prior to me. And yeah, we took a long time to get to the top. So I was a bit out of breath by the time I got to hit that first ball, which I unfortunately shanked and didn't quite get it down the the mountain. Yeah, that's that's not an easy putt after you've been huffing and puffing up the hill. And then not only that, but then you're standing there covered in lube <laughs> too. So <laughs> you're breathing hard, covered in lube, your hands are all slick, and then you got to make that, that t- putt from the B position. So uh, don't, don't fault you for having a, a rough first go of it there after everything you've been through. But then, uh, yeah, so then you lost that. And then you got to play another hole, which was interesting because they had redemption and uh, the distractor, which, you know, I was personally very happy about for the Australian season because that's the hole I ended up losing on and in season one. So it was kind of fun to see all that. Um, Did you guys have, I'm sure you had no idea what was coming up behind that hole, but like, uh, what was your reaction to when you saw Joel Duce singing at you and trying to make some putts? Well, I thought, I know this song. And so I started singing along and I didn't realize I was actually singing the wrong words. Um, <laughs> you know, shut up your face, you know, like, but no, it's shut up your face. <laughs> and I'm singing along. And then I thought, oh, my God, my microphone's on. Oh, no, if they if they show this on the TV that my singing, because my singing's not great. Um, so I was more worried about what they were going to play back on TV. And the distractor here in Australia, I thought it was just going to be a straight putt, but there was a curve to that putt and Mm. I didn't allow enough for that. And so the girl before me, uh, Danielle, she got it, she got it straight in. So the pressure was on. Mm -hmm. And then I had Joe singing, changing his words up going, you're going to miss this. And I'm like, Oh my God. And um, yeah, just missed it. So I was out and I was devastated. Mm-hmm. That's it's the it's the worst feeling uh, for those because it's just such like a fun universe to be in that you don't ever want to leave. So did Danielle actually make it on the first putt? Because it's kind of we know from our own experiences with editing. There's a bunch of holes where maybe that person got a two or maybe they got like an eight, and both people were just really bad, and you don't know. So she got it on the first putt. She got it on the first putt. Wow, that's, that's impressive. Tough. The pressure was on straight away. Ugh, 
that's the worst feeling to go after that. Plus you have a distraction to, to deal with in the first place. But at least it was kind of fun and, and goofy uh, because you all, that was the first episode that aired in Australia, right? Yes. That you all, and that one had through the roof ratings, I remember. I mean, I think Rob Riggle joked that like, I think he said on a later episode that more people watch that episode that are than are actually in Australia, but it was like over a million people and like was getting rave reviews, like the first episode I remember. Yes, uh, there was uh, almost a million people that watched the first season or the first episode of season one. And there is more than 1 million people in Australia. <laughs> I knew that. But Riggle said like something like... Like th- like a hundred million people, and I was like, "Is there a hundred million people in Australia?" <laughs> As you know, Regal likes to dramatize, you know, extend the truth slightly. <laughs> Did you get to uh, an opportunity to meet like Shervo, Regal, or any of them while you were on set? I know everything was a little bit tight because it was a lot of COVID protocols. Did you get to meet any of the celebrities? So we didn't get to meet Regal or Shervo in Australia, uh, but I did get to meet Riggle in LA, which was super cool. Fun. That's awesome. Yes. But as you said, COVID, you know, we couldn't get up and close to even some of the contestants sure. while we were waiting for production. So we were trying to, you know, social distance as much as possible. Uh, but we got to meet Sonia Kruger, which was our on-course host. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I guess one question I had, because as a competitive person, and I don't know if you have any like routines or rituals you do when you're in a tournament, but it being on Holy Moly, I think that was one of the things that was hard for me to adjust to because you had to play by the producer's rules, right? They were telling you where to stand, when to put and everything. And I found it hard to get in the rhythm. But I guess first, my question is, do you have any routines, practice routines, tournament routines, anything fun that you do when you're playing? And then the kind of the follow up to that is... Did you feel comfortable on set coming from that championship background or would it did it throw you off a little bit because you couldn't hit those same paces you might have otherwise would have in a tournament? I try not to think about my putts too much. I think I overthink it if I take too long to hit the ball. I'm better just to go up there, position myself and and hit the ball. The more I think about it, the, the worse I putt. So standing there waiting for them to tell you to putt, I found was the hardest part. And originally when we were in LA, they'd say uh, prepare to putt and then putt. Whereas here they said address the ball. And I wasn't quite sure what address the ball meant. I was wondering, do I introduce myself (laughs) to my ball? And so, yeah, that was a little bit different. And I think I went to putt before I was meant to putt. Uh, when they first said address the ball, because I wasn't quite sure what they meant. So that was uh, that was a little bit different. But I, I'm best just to go up and, you know, set myself up and, and hit rather than wait too long. Then I overthink it, definitely. That was agree one of the hardest parts especially on distractor because for mine tom was talking about they cut out so mine was paparazzi and they rolled out a red carpet so not only were you not putting 
you know, on a straight line to begin with, we had another layer of carpet and it took him like three times to put it out. And I was the first putter. So you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and like I, my first putt went into the next county. I was so far off because of it. <laughs> But yeah, so ours ours is interesting because ours ended up being our catchphrase because they would tell us to putt when ready. When after I think they did say to to address the ball. There was something before that, and then I yeah. remember they would just be like putt when ready, and that's become our our sign off phrase here for the the podcast. Yes, I remember putt when ready as well. Yes. Nice. Yeah, I heard we had had people that had told us that they didn't say that in Australia. And actually, that gets me to one of our little birdies had shared with us, um, because we have all of our little birdies in the mini golf world, that there were a handful of people that ended up getting to play some of the holes on the U.S. set. And you've kind of alluded to it. Are you willing to share what other hole that you played that obviously never got filmed or that got filmed but never aired? I played... Dutch Courage and hole number two. Oh, wow. I actually got past the Danny Doors in hole number two without getting hit into the water. And I always remember I've already been in that water. I know how cold it is. And so I ran super fast. But some of the other contestants said to me, oh, no, they just gave you more time. There's no way that your little legs could have run faster than mine. (laughs) We went to air, so we can never work that out, whether I did run faster or whether they gave me a little bit of extra, you know, a split second extra than everyone else. There's a lot of internet controversy after season two uh-huh. here in the U.S. of whether everybody got the same amount of time. There, there's, I mean, I thought we had a lot of time on our hands recapping <laughs> the holy Oof. moly, but definitely saw some people with side by side videos going on, and yeah, some, some interesting theories out there. So, so did you go swimming though? Then you had to because you said that you've been in the water. So if you didn't get hit by the dunny door, that means you went in the water on double Dutch courage. Yes, I went in twice. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. You, you fell in the other one between the bridge? Oh, no. Yes. So my, I am only short. I only have little legs. Uh, a lot of people call me, yeah, um, shorty. Uh, so the second one in in your season, you had to jump over the water. So you didn't just have to get mm-hmm. past the windmill blades. You also have to jump over as well. And yeah, I was not successful. That we we had a lot of uh, conversations about that when we recapped the season, just talking about how that Holy Moly's done a really good job at getting people of all different shapes and sizes and identities on the show. But with the Australian season, we really felt like there were so many obstacles where you had a massive advantage if you were taller, really athletic, because there was a handful of holes that only maybe one or two people finished them. And they were really tall guys or really, really fit people. And, you know, like I, we like the obstacles, but on a certain level, the like some of the holes, the obstacle is going to make the difference when it's one putt on those holes. And so to have it be so difficult in Australia. Australia. We're hoping that when the season three of Holy Moly in the U.S. airs, that it's at least not going to overly advantage like people that are just either really tall or really athletic. Because then it's like, I don't know, that that makes it, I think, less about putting than I think we would personally like. Well, yeah, this is awesome. I'm glad we got to hear about some of your uh, Los Angeles Holy Moly hijinks because there was all sorts of stuff that's like out there in public that, you know, they said that they've filmed but ultimately you know none of it got used because there was some people that like you that played one or two or maybe even three holes and there were other people 
that literally filmed some interviews and didn't get to play the course. And in some case of some people, they didn't even get to get recast uh, for any number of reasons uh, in the Holy Moly Australia. But fingers crossed in season two, they make it. To kind of close it out, like what has you excited from what you're seeing in the mini golf world down in Australia, like from audiences? Are you... Is, are there like leagues starting up? Are there new organizations popping up down there that are getting you really excited about where things could go with mini golf in Australia now with kind of a holy moly expanding the game? There's a lot more tournaments being played uh, on mini golf courses around Australia and a lot more people getting involved. So it's absolutely fantastic for mini golf. Uh, I'm excited about, you know, what holy moly has inspired in people and people getting people to play mini golf more people play mini golf is, you know, what we all want, right? Anyone exactly. that doesn't, yeah. Anyone that doesn't like mini golf, I think there's something wrong with them. <laughs> I, I, I almost feel like that's where the interview should end. <laughs> Unless you have something else, Pat, that just feels too perfect. I mean, that's pretty, all I was going to say, I mean, get, getting over to Australia and New Zealand to play in that competitive yes. realm is on my bucket list. So hopefully we'll, we'll make the trip halfway across the world to visit you guys at some point. hundred percent. We will look forward to welcoming you both down under when you get the opportunity. And now we're to the close of the show where we do big thoughts, mini golf. For those pros or skilled putters out there, be kind and supportive of people playing around you out on the course. You may see people holding the putter wrong, swinging in an atypical manner, or just hacking away, but instead of scolding or correcting people, give them a big thumbs up if you see them having fun or sink a putt. The game will only grow if we create a welcoming environment for all. June is Pride Month, and I want to take a moment to remind everyone that in the words of my co-host, mini golf is for everyone. One of the core values of the World Mini Golf Sport Federation is respect where we honor the rights, loyalty, dignity, and opinions of others. We treat our athletes, members, and partners with mutual respect and sensitivity. Mini golf is meant to be diverse and inclusive, and that's one of the reasons I personally love this sport. So remember, all love is welcome on the mini links. Amen. And with that, we're at the 19th hole. So until next time, putt when ready. I move my butt, butt when I'm trying.